Listeners, with Halloween around the corner, we're unwrapping the details surrounding the fate of one of history's most prolific leaders, King Tut. It's a fantastic two-parter from our friends over at Unsolved Murders, and I know you're going to love it. Enjoy part one here today and check back with us next week for part two. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode of Dictators, but in the meantime, be sure to follow Unsolved Murders free on Spotify if you'd like to hear more of history's most elusive cases. Happy spooky season, ParCast listeners. I'm Wendy from Unsolved Murders. And I'm Carter. In honor of Halloween, we're inviting you to light a torch and descend into the tombs of ancient Egypt's most prolific figures, as ParCast brings you a special event called The Mummy's Curse. We'll be dusting off cobwebs and cracking open the coffins on five different shows. From conspiracy theories and haunted places to unsolved murders, unexplained mysteries, and rituals— we're excited to bring you history's spookiest and most adventurous tales. Ever wonder what happened to Nefertiti's lost tomb? Curious about King Tut's mysterious life and death? Want to explore Cairo's most haunted mansion or crack open the Book of the Dead? We're going to make like a mummy and unravel it all. In this episode, we're going further back in time than Unsolved Murders ever has before to profile the pharaoh who became the world's most famous mummy, King Tut himself. Next week, we'll explore the sinister forces that may have sent him to an early grave. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder, incest, and stillbirths. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In the winter of 1923, Arthur Mace struck career gold. The conservator for New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art, he was stationed in Luxor, Egypt. It was an awesome job. Egyptology was all the rage in the U.S. and Europe at the time. It was kind of like the 1920s equivalent of working on a Marvel movie. So imagine the rush of excitement he felt when he learned archaeologist Howard Carter had just unearthed a tomb filled with ancient treasure, and maybe even a mummy. Even better, Howard Carter was hiring help right now. Arthur Mace knew about Egyptian art, and he could work a camera, and most importantly, he was already in Luxor. He got the job, and he got to work, photographing the pharaoh's lost treasure. A solid gold throne, elaborately carved shields, a king's chariot, a golden bed shaped like two leopards, vessels filled with wine, vintage 1323 BCE. Mace photographed more than 600 artifacts. The gold gleamed just as brightly as the day the pharaoh was buried, over 3,000 years earlier. The archaeologists eventually realized the tomb belonged to Pharaoh Tutankhamun, who reigned for roughly 10 years between 1333 and 1323 BCE. It was an incredible find. But soon, Arthur Mace started to notice things were a little odd. 
The tomb's murals differed from those painted for other pharaohs, and when Carter showed him the mummy's body, things really got weird. Eventually, Mace came to a startling conclusion. We have reason to believe that whoever arranged the king's funeral also arranged his death. Mace's observation kicked off 100 years of speculation. Was King Tut murdered? This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on the murder of King Tutankhamun. This time, we'll cover his fraught reign and the pair of mysterious deaths that brought an Egyptian dynasty to the brink of ruin. Next time, we'll cover the investigations into his murder, thousands of years after he died. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you say ancient Egyptian mummy... Most people imagine them buried in massive pyramids that jut upward toward the sky. But that's all thanks to Hollywood and Brendan Fraser. Most later period Egyptian mummies were actually interred in underground tombs, including King Tut. His final resting place is an area known as the Valley of the Kings. It was one of the most popular places for a royal burial in his time period, the 1300s BCE. It's located just outside the capital of Thebes, modern-day Luxor. By that era in Egyptian history, the pyramids were already hundreds of years old. They were sort of a been-there-done-that. And building something on the pyramid scale, well, it wasn't really a priority. For centuries, Egypt sustained itself with taxes from its conquered territories. 
It maintained the strongest army in the Middle East and fed its soldiers with wheat grown on the banks of the Nile. There was rarely famine or drought. The pharaoh maintained order, and a pantheon of gods and goddesses watched from above. It wasn't just the pyramids. Everything was, uh, been there, done that by then. Life was familiar, and life was good. Until the 1350s BCE, when a new pharaoh took the throne. He picked up his papyrus and began writing down ideas Egyptians had never considered before. O thou sole God, whose powers no other possesseth, thou didst create the earth according to thy desire, while thou wast alone. Pharaoh, apologies for the interruption. We await your decision on the trade agreement with Bunt. We've sent the wheat, but they have not returned the frankincense as agreed. At your command, Egypt's army could march at dawn. Sit down, I. There are more important matters to speak on. I've had a vision from the Aten. The sun god? The only god. The others matter not. Tell that to Anubis when you die. Hmm. Good joke. I won't die. I'm the chosen of Aten, destined to reflect his golden rays upon the people. A lovely sentiment. What about the lack of frankincense in Thebes? Without their perfumes, many of the courtiers are growing... putrid. Right in line with my vision. It's clear from the stench of Thebes, Aten demands a new capital. Down the Nile. Amarna. There is no city called Amarna. But there will be. And every room shall smell like lotus blooms. Start the preparations for moving the royal court. Pharaoh, Thebes has been Egypt's capital for centuries. It's the city of your father and your father's father. And his father before, and what's happened to them? They worshipped Amun-Re, Anubis, Horus, and Set, gods that didn't shine light upon them. But now... My ancestors are dead, living in darkness. I, Aten's chosen, must bring Egypt into the light. And who is the light of day but the Aten? So where to forget the other gods? Forget all of them. It's one pharaoh worshipping one god in his blessed city. We'll build it, and I shall never leave. I see. As for the broken trade agreement? <sighs> I care not. Hmm. I, you served my father well. You're in charge of it. Yes, go see to those rancid courtiers while I compose my new hymn to Aten. Off now. Yes, Pharaoh Amenhotep. One more thing, I. Call me Pharaoh Akhenaten. Amenhotep IV, or Pharaoh Akhenaten, as he dubbed himself, had absolute power. But he didn't want it. He refused to lead his army into battle and stopped all of Egypt's conquests. He let his advisors do the actual work of running a country and focused on something completely new, monotheism. Akhenaten believed he experienced religious visions from Aten, 
the sun god. In them, he was told to worship Aten, and Aten alone. And since he was the pharaoh, Akhenaten expected all of Egypt to change their religion along with him. The ancient Egyptians believed the pharaohs were descended from gods, and that made them the closest connections to the gods on earth, kind of like the Roman Catholic Pope, if he was also every member of the Italian parliament. During his reign, Akhenaten decreed that the entire country was changing their religion, effective immediately. Priests who'd spent their entire lives serving multiple Egyptian gods were told to forget all they knew and worship Aten alone. If they didn't, they'd lose everything. Meanwhile, Akhenaten formally changed his name and moved the capital city almost 300 miles up the Nile. He married the famous Nefertiti, and they had at least six daughters. And although Nefertiti received the title the king's great wife, She wasn't the only one. Akhenaten likely married at least one of his own sisters and had two sons with him, Smenkare and Tutankhaten. Because the Egyptian royal family believed they were descended from gods, they were careful not to dilute their bloodline. They couldn't have third cousins popping up claiming to be gods too, so they often chose to marry their own brothers, sisters, and perhaps even their children. It's disturbing today, but back then, the average person didn't have time to turn up their nose because Egypt was falling into chaos. In the 1340s BCE, there were no conquests and hundreds of priests who didn't know what to do. Egypt had prospered for so long, and Akhenaten was screwing it all up. If he wanted to stay in power, he'd have to hold on to it tightly. Perhaps that's why he elevated his older son, Smenkare, to co-regent. This was a common practice in ancient Egypt. Co-regents prevented a succession crisis when a pharaoh died young, which happened often. Akhenaten died at about 36, following his wife Nefertiti and several of his beloved daughters. As far as we can tell, Nefertiti and the girls died of natural causes. As for Akhenaten... We'll come back to that. Pharaoh Menkare took over after Akhenaten, but within a year, he died too. The throne passed to his little brother, Tutankhaten. There was just one problem. Tutankhaten was only around nine years old. He was nowhere near ready to rule an empire, especially an empire in turmoil. He needed help. Enter the Grand Vizier, I. I was practically an institution. He'd served two or three pharaohs over three decades and acted as Akhenaten and Smenkare's number two. When Smenkare died, Grand Vizier I saw opportunity. He started to meet with a young military general in secret and plan their next steps. General Horemheb, do you still itch for war? If my men can't crush the skulls of an enemy soon, they'll wind up crushing each other. But it matters not. Nothing is going to change, I. Yes, we have yet another incapable pharaoh. My spear may never shine with blood again. Hmm. Take this riddle from the Sphinx. What is the difference between a mad king and a boy king? How well they grow a beard? (laughs) No. 
A mad king repeats whatever the gods tell him. A boy king repeats whatever the adults tell him. I see where you're going. Treason. Or blasphemy. Either one. Support my position in the new pharaoh's court and the blood on your spear will never dry. You're certain the pharaoh will obey you? What if the Aten feels otherwise? The gods have led Egypt into our hands. Now we shall be their voice in his ear. How dare you speak of the old gods? Speak of them? I'll do more than that. I'll rebuild their temples by order of the pharaoh. The boy will forget his lunatic father, and Egypt will return to glory. It's thanks to men like you that Egypt has survived these years. My spear is at your command, Grand Vizier. Soon after the death of Smenkare, only one royal advisor was left standing in Amarna, Grand Vizier I. Together with General Haremheb, I plotted a return to the Egypt of his youth, back before Akhenaten sent the country into disarray. But Ai's path to power wasn't secure yet. He still had to deal with Akhenaten's other living child, a little girl named Anke Senpaten. Now, according to Egyptologist Dr. Bob Breyer, Egyptian succession laws included a practice called heiress theory. Essentially, if the pharaoh was unable to produce a male heir, or if that heir died, then his eldest daughter's husband would become pharaoh. Anke Senpaten was his only living daughter, so if Tutankhaten died, her husband would take the throne. Anke Senpaten was only a few years older than her brother, though, and didn't have a spouse yet. The adults in charge didn't want her to marry outside of the family, because that could lessen their power. So, not long after Smenkare's death, Grand Vizier I sat both children down in the Amarna Palace and presented a plan that would change their lives forever. Tutankhaten Anke Senpaten, listen well. You were born with a duty to Egypt, a destiny to marry each other. We pray this union will be fruitful for the dynasty. As the descendants of Amenhotep, you were also descended from all the gods. The Aten is not the only god who shines upon you. Now once you are married, we must say goodbye to Amarna. Don't cry. Your grandfather's palace awaits in Thebes. Amun is the chief god there. To mark the occasion, you'll take new names. Your old names were that of children. Tutankhamun and Anke Sinamun are a pharaoh and his queen, servants of Amun-Re. The Invisible Sun. Please stop crying. It isn't regal. Within a year, almost everything Princess Anke Senpaten ever knew was ripped from her. New home, new family, even a new name, Anke Senamun. Everything changed except one person, Tutankhaten. Though he was now Tutankhamun, we'll side with archaeologists and just call him Tut and her Anke from here on out. Whatever you call him, Tut was Anke's brother, her husband, and the most powerful person in Egypt. He was all she had left. Most people in that situation would do anything to protect that person. 
even if it meant going head-to-head with the second most powerful person in Egypt, Grand Vizier I. Coming up, the brief rule of Pharaoh Tut and Queen Anke. The floorboards creak. The walls, they moan. The house seems vacant, but you're not alone. This October, Parcast invites you to celebrate the spookiness of the Halloween season with all new episodes of Haunted Places. From an infamous murder farm in Indiana to the ghostly tombs and palaces of ancient Egypt, visit the world's most haunted destinations and find out what happens when a soul leaves the body but doesn't leave the grounds. Enjoy new episodes of Haunted Places all month long, free, and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In the 1330s BCE, Egypt was in a period of cultural recovery. After almost two decades under the rule of Akhenaten, the country was returning to normal. Sort of. Akhenaten's last surviving son, Tut, was now pharaoh. He married his half-sister, Anke, who was also a kid. With their incestuous child leaders nominally in charge, Egypt re-embraced its old culture. In the eyes of Grand Vizier I, the empire was only getting better. It helped that he had essentially taken over the country. He even moved the royal children to his old hometown, Thebes. It had been the home base for centuries of pharaohs before Akhenaten's revolution. And the move felt permanent. Not long after they arrived, construction began on Pharaoh Tut's tomb. He would be in Thebes for the rest of his life and afterlife. To his credit, I made vast improvements to the nation. People were happy to have the old gods and festivals back. Maybe because these festivals often provided free food and entertainment. In one ceremony that ensured the life-sustaining floods of the Nile... Pharaoh Tut and Queen Anke acted out the mythical love story of Isis and Osiris. The performance was complete with a boat journey down the Nile. But Isis and Osiris weren't the only gods brought back. Tut was identified with Horus in other ceremonies, and of course, the new names for him and his wife honored Amun-Re, the chief god of Thebes. Notably, Amun means invisible and Re means the divine sun. Considering their father's favorite god, the Aten, was also a divine sun god, the message couldn't be clearer. Akhenaten's reign was over. Those two decades of monotheism were just a fluke, and the Aten was hidden from the public. Who didn't really seem to mind. Early in Tut's reign, Egypt won a war against Nubia and gained access to land, precious stones, and people to enslave. The country was wealthy again. General Haremheb couldn't have been happier. 
Not everyone took this change easily, though, especially the two royal teenagers. What's wrong, Tut? Nothing. Lies? You haven't slept well all week. Do I look tired, Anke? No, but I hear you pacing through the wall at night. You hear guards and servants. Maybe a concubine. They pet softly. They're Thebans. You walk like an Amarnan, stomping like you have something to say. Sorry to wake you. I didn't realize you were so attuned to me. Sometimes I wonder if I'd be better off stomping in Amarna. Go on. Like last month, during the Osiris and Isis ritual? After you found me, everyone celebrated. They praised the floods. They called us gods. But it felt fake. You aren't really Osiris, just his descendant. What if I'm descended from the other one? Sometimes I wonder if... Promise you won't share this with anyone? I promise. I'll keep your secret. I wonder if Father was right. What if we should only praise the Aten? What if we're leading our people in blasphemy? You're the Pharaoh. The gods shine upon you, and you shine upon Egypt. Whatever they speak to you is true. I miss him. I miss him too. Uh, perhaps, perhaps the Aten can be our secret god, just yours and mine. You'd worship him for me? I'd do anything for you, <laughs> because you're the pharaoh. Yes, I'm your pharaoh. It's impossible to know what Tut and Anke believed in. But it's telling that on King Tut's throne, the royal couple is engraved side by side, under the rays of the Aten. The throne doesn't feature any other gods. But it does feature Anke's hand on Tut's shoulder. They're posed like two people who care for each other. And this isn't the only relic of a couple in love. Other artifacts show Anke's adoring gaze as Tut shoots an arrow her smile as he catches birds, both of them feeding each other. They seem inseparable, like the arranged marriage had turned into a love story. Now, some might say that could all be PR, but many of these items are documented as gifts from Anke to Tut. They weren't made for public display. They were just for Tut. Though it probably felt like everything was just for him, all of Egyptian culture revolved around him, from religious ceremonies to wars to the very passage of time. Each new year was marked by how long the latest pharaoh had reigned. It's like how some people refer to years as A.D. and B.C., but each pharaoh was a new Jesus Christ. Eventually, this treatment probably went to Tut's head. It certainly would for most people— and even if it didn't, Teen Rebellion likely set in once he realized that other people were making all the decisions for him. Throughout his reign, Tut's major disciples remained his Grand Vizier I, who functioned effectively as a regent, and General Haremheb, who led the military. 
The Hittites have held Kadesh in their wretched grasp for far too long. With doubled army rations, we can remove their ugly fingers from our rightful lands for good. I, Horemheb, I have an idea. What if, instead of waging war, we let them burn themselves out fighting other enemies? Then we don't need to reallocate any of the grain stores. Give up the fight? The Hittites control Kadesh because your father allowed them to do it. Mind you, if we don't attack, they will grind all of Egypt into the dirt, including its pharaoh. They didn't grind my father into the dirt? Your father was a grown man who inherited a stable nation. You, on the other hand... I am a man as well! I'm 17! <laughs> don't look so glum, young pharaoh. Next time you ride your chariot, you'll leave a trail of Hittite blood in your wake. By the time Tut was a teenager, it had been decades since a pharaoh had taken any interest in politics or war. It's likely that during this time, royal advisors like I got used to being in charge. So if Tut wanted to truly take power, he'd have to work for it. We don't know exactly how this played out, but we do know one way he tried to secure his throne, by creating a line of succession. During Tut's reign, Queen Anke got pregnant at least twice. However, it appears that both of the children were stillborn. Each was mummified so they could ascend to the afterlife through their father's tomb, once its construction was complete. But the promise of an afterlife together couldn't quell the royal family's devastation. They deeply wanted children. Though it's likely the stillbirths were a result of generations of inbreeding, Tut and Anke didn't know that. The deaths might have felt like a curse. A nation without an heir was an open door for future chaos or invasion from enemies like the Hittites. Not having any kids didn't just spell the end of a dynasty. It could mean the end of Egypt as they knew it. The pressure to bear children may have also caused a wedge between the young lovers as they continued to try for another heir. <laughs> My husband, you must worship Osiris tonight before we begin. Osiris? We never worship Osiris in private. And that's why he punishes us. He's killing our children, making you look impotent. How dare you speak of such things? Please, don't be upset with me. I led us astray by encouraging you to revere the Aten. I'm trying to fix my mistake. Anke, where's this coming from? I told me our children die because you're unfit as Pharaoh, just like father. If we hadn't chosen to follow father's ways, it hurts to speak it, but... I swore our next child would be conceived with all the gods' blessings. Why do you trust I above your own husband? I am the Pharaoh. You are the blood of the Pharaoh. I is a servant. We know what's best, not some common man. Praise the Aten with me instead. Under his light, we shall conceive again. <sighs> I shall follow your command, my love. In the name of the Aten... Our next child shall grow up strong under his glorious rays. In the name of the Aten. During Tut's reign, many Egyptians likely lived in fear that their teenage pharaoh would turn into his father. 
especially when Tut suffered the loss of his stillborn children. Shattered by their grief, Tut and Anke may have been poised to make drastic changes. And as we saw with Akhenaten, when the pharaoh changes his mind, all of Egypt has to follow him. However, this pharaoh didn't have a chance to change. Because around 1323 BCE, 19-year-old pharaoh Tutankhamun turned up dead. Coming up, while Egypt reels from King Tut's death, another royal is murdered in the shadows. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Now back to the story. When Pharaoh Tutankhamun died around 1323 BCE, shockwaves coursed through the Egyptian royal court. There's no record of his final moments or how his body was found, but it's clear that people weren't expecting him to die. After all, he was only 19. Since Tut died without appointing an heir, his most powerful supporters faced a succession crisis. They needed a new leader and fast. Traditionally, the new pharaoh completed certain rituals as part of his predecessor's burial to ensure a smooth transition of power. So, if they didn't pick a new king soon, Tut wouldn't get a complete funeral. There was one saving grace, the 70-day mummification process. It gave them about two months to find a pharaoh before they risked the entire kingdom falling apart. But as always, Grand Vizier I had a plan to save Egypt. The shame the pharaoh left us without an heir. We'll have to be clever. We can hope there's one already on the way. A long-lost descendant of Amenhotep? Not lost. Did you see how Anka Sanaman cupped her womb when she saw the pharaoh's corpse? She can't be pregnant. How convenient we are experienced in helping a young pharaoh reign. In this case, a very young one. Slow down. We don't know if there is a child or if it will live. Either way, it won't be born in time to bury Tutankhamun. We must select another pharaoh. 
someone experienced. But there are no others in the royal line. If the queen remarries, her husband can rule. Brilliant. Then he'll pass the throne back to Tut's heir. We still don't know if this child exists, Horamheb. We must focus on the present. The pharaoh is he who marries the queen. While the dead pharaoh's advisors looked for a suitable replacement, Anke made her own plans for Egypt's future. After Tut's death, she composed a secret letter to one of the last people anyone would have expected, Supi Luli Uma I, the king of Egypt's longtime enemies, the Hittites. King, I beg your help. My husband is dead. I have no son, yet I am told that you have many sons. If you would give me one of your sons, he would become my husband. Never shall I pick out a servant of mine and make him my husband. I am afraid. Signed, the king's great wife. Anke crossed her fingers and hoped no one would discover her secret plan until her Hittite prince came to save the day. A Hittite alliance would be very unpopular, so it needed to be a done deal before she proclaimed a foreigner as the new pharaoh. Luckily for Anke, Tut's court advisors had suddenly grown very busy deciding where they'd bury their dead pharaoh. When 19-year-old Tut died, his tomb still needed years of work. It was so daunting, the Egyptian royal court likely opted to bury him in a different grave altogether. One for an older man that was nearly complete. Even though it was located in the prestigious Valley of the Kings, it was a small, random grave. It was meant for someone like a royal cousin or a high-level advisor, certainly not a king. So... They had to redecorate. It's worth noting that unlike other pharaohs, Tut didn't have a chance to approve his tomb art. The walls of his tomb show traditional Egyptian art with many gods, but it's unclear if he would have agreed with this choice. Otherwise, King Tut's mummification process proceeded as usual, with many, many prayers. Priests removed his internal organs and preserved them in a canopic jar. Then they coated the body in salt and left it to dry for 70 days. Each one must have felt like an eternity for Queen Anke, who still awaited word from the Hittites. At some point before Tut's burial, a Hittite envoy did arrive. Anke likely met the group in secrecy in her private chambers. Salutations, Queen of Egypt. I am Hattusa Ziti. Envoy of King Sepiluli Uma. Welcome, Envoy. Pardon the limited reception. We must keep the treaty secret until it is settled. Even some in my own court would rebel at the suggestion of marrying a foreign prince. So it's true. The Queen of Egypt is a widow. Lamentably. And childless, too. Speaking of, where is the prince awaiting me outside the city? The prince chose to stay at his home in Hati. I'm here in his stead. A queen writes to a king for an alliance and he sends back a servant? Your majesty, our kingdoms have battled on and off for decades. Not long ago, your forces attacked one of our territories without provocation. I must confirm this is not a trap. 
Your king accuses me of lying. We've seen that the pharaoh's tomb is not yet sealed. We must confirm that the pharaoh is, in fact, dead. Of course he's dead. You've seen the state of Thebes. With all due respect, we need proof. Was the pharaoh ill before his death or, or injured? How dare you ask a grieving widow to recount the loss of her husband? There is no trap. As I wrote, my husband passed, leaving me childless. I shall only marry another prince. <laughs> How did the pharaoh die? Never mind. You've said my prince would be the true pharaoh of Egypt, not a hostage? The ruler above all. I shall relay that message to my king. I am most grateful. I'll send one of my own servants back with you, since that seems to be what the king prefers. It's no wonder King Sapiluliuma raised his eyebrows at Queen Anke's letter. It essentially offered the rule of Egypt on a silver platter. After years of on-and-off warfare, it did feel like a trap. But once they returned to Hati, the pair of servants convinced King Sapiluliuma that the Queen Anke was serious. The king chose his fourth son, Zananza, to be the new king of Egypt. For a fourth son in the ancient world, he'd hit the lottery. His older brothers had already claimed the future throne of Hadi and the best viceroyships, but now Zananza would go from being a minor royal in one country to absolute ruler in another. Who cared if the woman he was about to marry didn't even know his name yet? She was a queen, and she'd be thrilled when he arrived. Zananza's party hit the road from Hadi to Egypt. At her palace in Thebes, Queen Anki eagerly awaited his arrival. What is the latest news? Any word of visitors to our city? A skirmish at the Hati border. Unknown men killed a small party of Hittites attempting to cross. It would have been nothing worth mentioning except one among the party was a Hittite prince, Zananza. Zananza? A son of Sapiluliuma? Yes, he died in the skirmish. I've written to the king to smooth it over. And I'll brief my armies this week, in case of retaliation. The prince was making his way into Egypt, and, and then he died? Foreign royals are murdered all the time. We need to find out who killed him and punish them. I won't stand for this in my kingdom. I see what's wrong, Queen. This isn't about the foreign prince dying, but your husband. Yes, that's all that's upset me. I'm very emotional over my dead husband. Remind me, I, how did my father die? I was such a young child, I struggled to recall. The gods simply said it was his time, just like our glorious Pharaoh Tut and that meaningless Hittite prince. Odd that the gods never say it's your time, I. Everyone else around you seems to die when it's most convenient. Indeed. The gods must have a grand plan for me. With the murder of the Hittite prince Zananza, Queen Anke's plan was shattered. This may have been her breaking point. She'd lost all of her siblings, her parents, her husband, their two children, and now her fiancé. 
It was almost as if someone was out to kill off the entire 18th dynasty. At this point, Anki may have worried her life was in danger too. She didn't have a husband or a fiancé. Her country had no ruler, and war with the Hittites felt inevitable. She knew if she didn't find out who killed the prince, there was no stopping the king from retaliating. But what Anke may not have known was that the clues to who murdered Zananza might be in someone else's grave. Her husband's. Over 3,240 years later, Howard Carter's team of archaeologists finally finished removing the limestone chips that blocked the passageway to King Tut's burial chamber. Over the next few weeks, men including Howard Carter and Arthur Mace were some of the first to see the colorful murals decorating the tomb's walls. Osiris, Isis, Amun-Re... All the gods are here to send this pharaoh to the afterlife. Have we confirmed this one's a pharaoh? That's what we're telling Lord Carnarvon. Fair enough. I'll just keep my mouth shut and take pictures. (laughs) Well, I'll be. He really was a pharaoh. Look at the crown. And there, we have his successor. And there, the scarab beetle. Anubis. That's their god of the dead. I know who the Egyptian gods are. I work for the Met. Then I won't tell you about... Wait a minute. Does something strike you as odd about all of this? The amount of grave goods is astounding. And the preservation. (laughs) Not that, no. There's not one image of this pharaoh with a wife. Thanks for tuning in to this episode from The Mummy's Curse, brought to you by Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. For part two of the murder of King Tut, tune in next time to Unsolved Murders. To hear more episodes from The Mummy's Curse, be sure to listen to our other shows, Unexplained Mysteries, Rituals, Haunted Places, and Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. For more information on King Tut's tomb, amongst the many sources we used, we found two extremely helpful to our research. The Murder of Tutankhamun by Dr. Bob Breyer and Letters of the Great Kings of the Ancient Near East, the Royal Correspondence of the Late Bronze Age by Trevor Bryce. We'll see you next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, Freddie Rivera, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unsolved Murders is written by Maggie Admire, edited by Kylie Harrington and Terrell Wells, fact-checked by Katherine Barner, researched by Mickey Taylor, and produced by Travis Clark. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Brian Green, Kai Jordan, Alastair Murden, Rebecca Thomas, and Charlie Wess. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. <laughs> <laughs>